Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Apollo Audio Podcast. Welcome to the Apollo Audio Podcast. Oh, we are here at Apollo Audio Hartford as <laughs> usual with my amazing co-host oh, Billy Hills nice. <laughs> and Miles Mitchell. Amazing, what hello is, guys. He didn't call you amazing, Miles. Just yeah, me. yeah. I said say my amazing co-hosts. Oh, okay. that, that may, I, have, that may have been missed missed now. as you were rambling over the top of it. <laughs> uh, nice to see you again, guys. Makes it sound like we haven't seen each other for a week, doesn't it? It's like, yeah. Uh, we, we never see each other. Uh, this is the only time we ever see each other. We don't talk to each other at all, apart from doing this. That's enough. I've had enough of you. Uh, we're here once again, uh, discussing, amongst other things, the 500 best albums of all time, as decided by uh, Rolling Stone magazine. And for God knows what reason, we've established, why were these albums on there? That's basically what we're doing. But an excuse to listen to music and decide whether we like it or not. That's the bottom line, isn't it? Uh, Supposedly the best albums of all time. And I say supposedly with some degree of knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Supposedly? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Right, let's crack on. The first album this week uh, is number 474 on the best 500 albums of all time. So it's quite low down. It is by Big Star. It's called Number One Record and was released on 1st of August 1972. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine said Alex Chilton and Chris Bell were the Memphis whiz kids at the heart of Big Star. They mixed British invasion pop finesse with all-American hard rock. Big Star didn't sell many records, but did become crucial inspiration to underdogs like R.E.M., The Replacements, and Elliot Smith. As Chilton said later, if you only press up 100 copies of a record, then eventually it will find its way to the 100 people who want it most. Nice. Um, it is, as is probably uh, acknowledged by the title of the record, their debut, produced by John Fry. It is the first of three entries on the list. Um, sorry, there are three entries from Big Star on the list. It sold fewer than 10,000 copies on its initial release. Uh, re- released? <laughs> on its initial release. And uh, the song 13 from this album was also ranked number 406 on the 500 greatest songs of all time. Is that the next podcast? They're the greatest songs of all time. Yeah, that'll take us. That'll take me into my seventies or something. <laughs> um, uh, August 1972, the number one movie was Deliverance. The number one album. <laughs> this is great. Not, Twenty dynamic hits on the KTEL album, which if you grew up when I did, uh, KTEL were always advertising on TV. They were like a cheap knockoff. That 20 dynamic hits, I'll bet, was all versions of big hit songs, but done by not the original artist. Oh, I see. So that nice. you could buy the song, Covers. not by the original artist, so they didn't have to pay for the yeah. original you know, yeah, publishing. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and the number one single was Puppy Love by Donny Osmond. And they call He knows it. He knows it. That's by S Club Juniors, wasn't it? Puppy they, they, Love. My <laughs> word. That's good. I like that generational <laughs> idea. Did they do Puppy a Love by yeah. S Club Juniors? <laughs> uh, on August the 1st, an article exposing the Watergate scandal appeared for the first time in the Washington Post. Uh, on August the 10th, Paul and Linda McCartney and their band Wings were arrested in Gothenburg, Sweden, on drug possession charges. And on August the 6th... McCartney was arrested, did you say? Yeah, Paul and Linda McCartney and their band Wings. 
Well, it was more Lennon's bag. Yeah. Well, well, getting yeah. arrested or uh, having, having drugs? drugs. <laughs> I suppose they all had drugs, but, but you'd expect more from, from Lennon to be sort of stopped and, and arrested. Paul McCartney's like the golden boy, isn't he? They still all did. I think, you, I think, I think you have a... Um... Go check the history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, obviously, I've, I've, heard, I've heard Sergeant Peppers. It's a drug-fueled album. But um, I just, yeah, I just thought McCartney was more of the sort of discreet... Just I don't think. Boy, uh, I think McCartney never got as into the as heavy drugs. I think uh, right. Lennon became a heroin user, didn't he? Which I don't think McCartney ever went down that road. Yeah, but uh, I don't think it was any secret that they were all on various drugs <laughs> at various <laughs> points. Can I carry on? You may. <laughs> you may. <laughs> and on August the sixth, Jerry Halliwell was born in Watford, England. Yay. Um, so there you go. Have I, have I told you my Jerry Halliwell story? No. I'm so excited. <laughs> she auditioned to be in my band. Did you? Did you yeah. turn her down? Yeah. No way. What band? Well, the Spice Girls did a little bit better than that. Yeah. Man. Let's, yeah. let's put it that way. Oh, we, why'd you turn in the down? long term? We were proven to be somewhat short-sighted. Perhaps. Yeah. No, I don't think that's true. What was the? What were you looking for? A singer? Uh, 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 I think it was uh, one of the, one of the members of my band knew Jerry. And uh, she was looking to get into music at the time. She said, well, come along and have a go with my band. I never met her. I wasn't there that night. I was going to say, weren't you the singer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just, which, just, yeah, let's, let's not dig too deep down that. What, what, why, how did that come that's about That's why then, I said, Mark? were you yeah. looking for a singer? So yeah. I thought, I thought you were the singer. I was, I was the singer. And the day that I wasn't well, I'm there, someone to they auditioned it. another singer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? What kind of singer? Well... <laughs> well maybe you're both going to be the lead singer she's you know, a young like... voluptuous female yeah. maybe... I think you're going in a different direction <laughs> yeah. maybe you're both going to be the singer you know like two becomes one she was... on that note shut up <laughs> <laughs> right so number one record by a big star Martin you go first yeah, yeah you know first. first go on I'm possibly the only one of the three of us that recognised the name initially. Is that is that fair to say? Mm. I had no idea. There were three before. albums in there. Never heard of them. That's, so a, I, that's a ballsy album title as well for your first album, isn't it? Yeah, well, no, number I one record. record. Yeah. Well, I th- but I it think, did go to I, number I think, one, didn't it? Well, I don't think it did. <laughs> oh, I read it did. No, it only re- uh, well because they only uh, they only sold ten thousand <laughs> copies of it, so I don't think so. Uh, no, I think it's called number Might one record. It's called number one record because it's their debut album, not because they thought it was going to go to number one. Oh, maybe Although number there one may single. have there may have been some humour intended behind that as well. But yeah, it's their first album. I think that's why it's called number one record. Rather maybe they added number one single. They thought it was great within the streets. You may be right, but yeah, I was aware of um, Big Star, Alex Chilton. These are all names that I was aware of because he's been cited by various bands as an influence that I would have read of in the past. And for some reason, we'd never have really gone back and checked out the music. So I wasn't mm. that familiar. Although I had heard 13 as a cover version, and I can't for the life of me remember who the cover version was by. But there's also various bands that have written songs called Big Star. There's even a band that wrote a song called Alex Chilton. They're all sort mm. of back-referencing to this band, who are obviously uh, influential. So apart from knowing the name of the band, I didn't really know them. One of the bands that I was very into sort of mid-90s, sort of Britpop era, what was a uh, teenage fan club. Mm. Um, Scottish band. Don't know if you've uh, come across them at all. Heard of them, Heard yeah. Of them, yeah. Um, very influenced. Um, and I went back to listen to particularly an album called Grand Prix by a teenage fan club. I thought, yeah, I can definitely hear the influence mm. um, of Big Star in that after I'd listened to this album. Um, I can't say I loved it, 
also didn't hate it. I would almost go as far as to say half of it I really liked and half of it I didn't. We had this discussion, didn't we? It was yeah. like when it first turned on, I was like, oh, it's going to be another one of them 70 albums I don't really like. But as it got on, I grew to like it a little bit more. Especially yeah. 13, I thought it was a great track. 13's a great, a great song. I know, and so I was familiar with that one as well. That first track was kind of, right, this is a 1972 album. Mm. Didn't immediately sound... When we were listening to uh, Grateful Dead, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, which only a year before that, Hunky Dory, a year before that. Whether it's because it's been reproduced, remastered or whatever, but it didn't sound perhaps as dated mm. to that date particularly. And the more the album went on, lots of the tracks on it really didn't sound 1972-ish mm. to me. It's like they could have been 1990s, late 80s, maybe even 2000s in terms of the production arrangements, mm. vocals, that mm. kind of stuff. I thought it was kind of hard to really position it as, a, oh, this sounds, you know, 50 years old. Yeah. But some of it was just, oh. The influences on them, I felt like, things like the faces I could hear that had maybe been an, an influence on their sound. Be the Beatles, of course. Yeah, it's um, like Day Tripper sort of like riffs. When, yeah. when they say like British Invasion, I was like, yeah, yeah, I really heard that in the guitar yeah, yeah. playing, yeah. And as I say, sort of an influence on, on later. There was at least two or three tracks that I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. I like this. But plenty on it, they were just like, okay, yeah. fine, this is, this is all right. So as being a sort of a huge influential band, certainly I think, again, fair to say, they probably are a hugely influential band in America, mm. less so here. Although, as I said, I know, I know there are artists that like, came later that have been influenced by Big Star uh, in the UK as well. But um, it's not going to go on my favourites of all time list, no. but it, it was nice to kind of actually go, oh, so this is Big Star then. Yeah. And I think it was good that it got to start with the first album yeah, yeah um, by Big Star as well of course yeah, this is their first album that's where they started from and that there's going, there are another couple of albums on here to maybe hear the progression maybe hear the influence maybe hear why more um, why they are more revered yeah that was probably um, added true. on to I think it's one of the of that era and that sort of sound is one of the better artists I've heard I actually got into a little bit more because I don't know how you what is that sort of sound is it like it's quite bluesy in some sort of ways it's just like classic rock sort of thing isn't mm. it and I didn't mind it compared to other stuff I've heard of that sort of era. But yeah, it's got some decent songs on there. And yeah, it's was, it was a white listen. Yeah, I, I, it. I was that's a bit different. I actually really liked it. Mm. See, I've I, I got a differing opinion with you there, Martin. I actually think it does sound like a 70s rock album to okay. me. Um, obviously, Lennon and McCartney kept springing to mind, a lot of harmonies like yeah. throughout, like the sort of um, uh, almost Eaglesy as well, you know, like. Yeah. Pink Floyd, Eaglesy sort of mm. like just that takes me back to that sort of like seventies, like you said, a bluesy as well. Mm. Like it's got a, a kind of bluesy, almost country without being too country, but just like soft rock, very mm. palatable rock. Mm. I recognised one of the tune. It was really annoying me. I was like, "Where's the tune?" So I typed it in, and it. I don't know. I don't know if it's why, but maybe this is why I recognise it. But in the street, which is the second tune is that seventy show oh, theme yeah. tune. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh well. But then it, I saw that. I was like. Is that where I'd recognise it from? It must be. Yeah. So I really recognised it and I then Googled what it was. Mm. I thought that was their strongest song. Turns out it's probably the one that's, that's made them the most uh, money from sync, etc. So I suppose it's uh, probably seen as their better one. I liked the ballad of El Goodo as well, which was yeah. like the ballady one. Yeah, yeah. There was like these backing vocal R's, which were like really, really nice. I think the word that I use, which I use again, it was very palatable, very like easy, hard to really like dislike it, mm. you know? Um, uh, 13 I thought was great I don't know if you heard the 
production thing, that the proper hard pan of the two guitars, like m more so than other, I actually put it on this morning, yeah. was sat back and I was like, whoa. Mm. It was literally like two different guitars doing two different things, but I know it's quite common, to, but it was real hard pan, yeah. nothing coming well, those, down the middle. Those, um, the, the mixing desks yeah. of the past... They didn't have pan controls. They had a, a, a switch. It was either L, C, uh, or R. Oh, yeah, there, yeah. So they went R and there you go. Fine. So that was, I thought, just an interesting thing. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And actually brought me onto a question that I thought, hmm, I'm going to raise this with the boys. But I think I know your answers now. Uh, so probably no need. But like you said, Billy, I, I think Martin's had got a slightly different point. But you, like you said, it's got that sort of like, you knew what it was in terms of that 70s sort of like bluesy sort of mm. like feel. And then I started thinking about, I can really differentiate those that sort of sounding rock band to like the 80s sort of rock band mm. and so i started thinking like mm, what do i prefer and i think you boys are different i think i prefer the sort of 70 like i know it's a generalization within rock there's so many subgenres, etc yeah. but i think i prefer that sort of more palatable 70s rock it's almost more more organic methods of recording mm. um what are you thinking of when you say 80s rock though what, what are you what are you what are you I suppose placing like that against guns and roses right. iron maiden black sabbath oh, sort of no, stuff that's yeah. hard that, i was, that, I was that, gonna say I, I, I would never now, think of them as uh, 80s equivalents that that would be yeah. my i mean what would be they're like hair metally sort of ones and i can't really stand you know you said like eagles have like, I know yeah. that one of the biggest bands I can't really stand that sort of country like americana sort of bluesy <laughs> yeah. rock so they're too i don't know but like the Who, there would you say they're seventies? Yeah, but uh, no, no, certainly no different sound sort of to these the, though. Yeah, they're heavier period with seventies, yeah. definitely the Who. Yeah, he heavier, but there's definitely rockier, rockier. And like I said, there's definitely within rock, there's going to be subgenres of like you know, I think eighties rock. You started getting more experimental rock, didn't yeah. you? So you started getting more like punk rock, and mm. metal was born in yeah. the eighties, wasn't it? Yeah. So, but. I can, I, I feel if you play me 10 songs and went 70s or 80s, yeah. I know this was quite soft pop rock, but I can hear the difference. Yeah. And I think, I'm, I, I think I'd prefer the, prefer the former to where rock then kind of goes. it's too laid back for you. So like inoffensive, just like, yeah, it's just like, just sort of doddle along. So that's so why you, I can't really get into, into it. Are you not into that, I like my heavier stuff because it's so like in your face. And, yeah. and I, but I don't like the Guns N' Roses sort of stuff either because that's a bit on the other end of it. Right. But it's a bit too... Laid back for me, I think. Do you like any sort of 70s rock? I like the Who. Yeah. I like the punk stuff. I like Clash and all stuff like that. But not this side of the American... Like, too, side. too, too, too bluesy, too country-fied for me. Yeah. Martin, you? Is this not a go... I know you said you didn't like this album, but this sort of... No, I didn't say that, though, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I read between the lines. <laughs> I said I liked half Sorry. of it, and I didn't like half of it. And, yeah. uh, and, and I think to, cut, to pick up... Um, what you're what you're saying, not necessarily. I wasn't sort of oh, this doesn't sound like it's 1972. There were bits of it that I think I could hear. Maybe a better way of putting it is I could hear influences that came later, the 80s, 90s, even yeah. 2000s. Yeah. That I know and the way it was produced in comparison to say the uh, the the Grateful Dead album, which sounded a bit sort of, and I know it was, it sounded a bit more kind of just thrown together a little bit. It was kind of let's do it fast, let's do it live. This sounded more polished. And therefore, perhaps, and I said maybe just remastering as well, things like that, just sounded a bit more modern. There were songs on this album that sounded like they were 70s, but the production of it, not so much. I think the production of it you could have placed anywhere was more what I was getting at. And the songs that I liked on this album, I think, were the ones that didn't sound so, maybe lyrically, melodically, even arrangement-wise, so 70s, mm. even if the production 
yeah. did, and the songs that sounded like so th- things like the, the the faces or st- stuff like that, humble pie, those sorts of things, were the bits that I didn't get as much because it did sound like that seventies bluesy rock thing that was just everywhere. Mm. <laughs> Got that sort of period, mm. you know, it's one of them early seventies bluesy rock band. Mm. Yeah, okay, bunch of lads with guitars. All right. Um, alternative rock is what is really being described as here. Big Star produced a style that foreshadowed the alternative rock of the 80s and 90s. Is um, that alternative that everyone's doing it? I don't know. It's more so, I, I kind of get it sort of like, it's not traditional rock, whatever that is. But if it was around the time. Pop rock. Like rock and roll sort of stuff, Chuck Berry. The who, well, the Stones. Well, I think the alt, alt rock stuff is probably, okay, it's not Led Zeppelin, it's not the Stones, it's not that. Might have been... The I mean, the Eagles are somehow seen as a all, like rock band rock, as well, rock, which is rock, like rock, yeah. you couldn't get rock. some of the songs. Country it's rock, like, you couldn't get more. It's the worst sort of rock. <laughs> Pop, so, mate. Oh god, I've got to show you some Eagles live videos there, Bill. You'll change your pit opinion. I've seen those really. on them. I think they're great musicians. There, there, are, at least, there, are, there are at least two albums by the Eagles on this list. Pleased to hear. I'm all that week. <laughs> <laughs> The Eagles are, are a funny band. Um, not not hilarious or anything. It's not like they were telling, <laughs> no, they were telling jokes. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rolling, Rolling Stone said, before they broke up, Big Star created a seminal body of work that never stopped inspiring succeeding generations. So I think you can hear that influence. So they, they get cited quite a lot by other bands saying, oh yeah, really influenced by Big Star, you know, even today. I found this a really interesting quote, not necessarily um, relevant directly to this, but something that we've spoken about a few times on the podcast. This was William Roman writing about this album. He said, The problem with coming in late on an artwork, Lodi's is influential, is that you've probably encountered all the work it influenced first. So all its truly innovative qualities are lost. So if you're hearing Big Star's debut album for the first time decades after its release, as is inevitably true of most people now, you may be reminded of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers or R.E.M. who came after. That is, if you don't think of the Birds and the Beatles circa 65, which came before. What's remarkable about this album from 1972 was that nobody except Big Star wanted to sound like this. Simple light pop with sweet harmonies and jangly guitars. Which we've mentioned a few times. Is, kind of, is this good or is it influential? And trying to put yourself in a position where you've never heard this before, mm. whereas we are now listening to this going, we've heard loads of people do this type yeah. of stuff before. And that's doing them a, the opposite to a disservice. So a service in terms of, I think the Beatles nailed that sort of jangly guitar harmonies. So I wouldn't say, then this came after. So I wouldn't say like, oh my God. Yeah, but this isn't, this, yeah, true. You, you know, I'm going to argue with you. Yeah, um, yeah. In, we'll in, in, in defense of Big Star. <laughs> yeah, we, um, that, uh, yeah you're, you're right, but this doesn't sound like Revolver. It doesn't sound like, um, it might be influenced by it, but it doesn't sound like that. This isn't taking that template and saying we're going to sound like the Beatles. This is doing something a bit I new. See, I see what the point's saying, but I would be very surprised if, if it was 72. 72, yeah. I'd be very surprised if this was the first. Yeah, as I say, it's not, I, I don't this think, isn't, is it massively uh, different? It's not I, very like avant-garde like, out there, is it? It doesn't sound I've like... That's, really like that's sort, that's sort of that. the point, though. That, that's really the point, is exactly that. To us, it doesn't sound like it is. Yeah. But in 1972, did it? <sighs> and this guy's saying it did. He said, he's literally saying, it's hard now yeah. to realise how influential it is because now you've heard all the influences. So trying to put yourself in a position where it hadn't been done before and hearing it for the first time is really hard. And we've and the reason I'm mentioning that, not even necessarily to do with this album, but we've mentioned that ourselves about Van Halen, for example, putting yourself in the... In the th- why, is, why is this good? 
because yeah. sure, it sounds cheesy with, is the phrase that we've used but uh, in 1977 yeah. when that comes out it's like well hadn't been done before yeah maybe yeah. maybe I just maybe I you're can right see, I can see more Van Halen not being done before this mm. sort no, seems to like fit the mould no but like Martin era. says maybe it is the first yeah. but like I said yeah, um, to me it doesn't sound mad. I, I take your point they're, they're clearly stating themselves they've been influenced by the Beatles yeah. so that's not new yeah uh, and, I, and, and to me, it's not that far removed from the likes of even Grateful Dead, that album that yeah. we listened to, which was uh, 71, wasn't it? It's right. not that, you know, it, in terms of, is it that different? Yeah. No, I don't think so. But, uh, or the, you know, the birds or whatever was around at that time. And but, yet, but yeah. there's something about, as I say, this is, again, putting ourselves in a position of being American as well. And going, oh, you're not exposed to this type of stuff. Maybe we were exposed to more of that sort of yeah. stuff around that period because they were taking their influences from that in the US, but the US hadn't heard it before. So, you know, they're getting a bunch of crappy bands yeah. in 1971. And then Big Star come along and go, we've taken all our influence from 60s um, uh, Brit, Brit invasion stuff. Mm. And America going, ooh, this is clever. And did, did he mention Tom Petty, you said there as well? Tom Petty as being influenced by, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I've had that feeling. We've had it, like you said, Martin, it's come up on pods recently about us maybe not loving the album, but then appreciating perhaps this was the first of that sort of sub-genre. You know, I can't remember which one it was specifically, but it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. And we all said, well, if it was the first, then it, that's, that deserves some credit. So yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe this was the first and then it deserves even more credit because obviously, as we've all cited, this sound is, is one that we're obviously... Recognize, you know, so well because it mm. has been done again and again in that in the seventies and moving in, in, in into like REM and yeah. the things I was saying. I think maybe they're, they're an interesting band in that you probably they, are, are they the first band we've come across that you could say are hugely influential but not hugely famous. Definitely, mm. that's a really good point. They might be in America though. That's yeah. the thing like over here, like literally never heard of them. No, but I think uh, I think. If you are, they're still not selling. They have, still haven't sold loads of records. Like I'm, Big Star is not a big selling. It's not like uh, a, a future generation has come back and bought hundreds of thousands of Big Star yeah. stuff and made them into a huge success later. Trying to think, who's like a '90s or, or, or even more recent sort of guitar-led but soft rock band in the UK? Off the top, off the top of the heads. Uh, <laughs> so I definitely. I think, I think if you like, listen to Teenage Fan Club, you definitely right. Go, right, I get it. But the point I was going to make is that I bet, like you said, but I bet if you ask them, whoever they are, there are mm. lots out there. I just can't think of any. I bet they know. Mm. They, they I can't know really hear stuff. the REM influences that much. Yeah, and and, and and again, we're kind of coming to that, going can't hear the influence there. But was that is that a big star influence or a this album influence? And there's a, there's see, there's yeah. obviously a, yeah, a bigger collection one, yeah. of uh, big star songs that we True. haven't heard yet that you might go, oh yeah, yeah, that's REM, isn't yeah. it? Maybe. That's uh, me but Martin's right. Corner. They are literally. I read a few things. They are, li- <laughs> they are literally like lauded. Like the lead singer, like people talk about him like a yeah, like mm. an absolute hero. Then maybe they're that, that cool band that everyone in the genre, that everyone in the industry knows, but yeah. no one else really yeah. knows. But I thought I really, yeah, I actually really enjoyed it. I could listen again. I thought it was great. Time and a place, time, <laughs> and a, time and a place. Like, but if you thought, mm, I've said this analogy before, but I'll say it again. You're on a long drive. <laughs> yeah. Maybe across America, you're like, I just want to put something. I don't really want to think about it. Perfect, perfect sort of album for me. Yeah. <laughs> volume down on about yeah, no, one. It's, it's, <laughs> you know what I mean because like it is it's tight it's, yeah, you're right it's time and place isn't it it's like yes. I'm, I, I'm in the place where this is going to sound best yes exactly and there's something um, true about that as a you know, what's the, the right time and place and that some things don't work everywhere but they 
work very well. Yeah, you're not going to go to a house somewhere. party if it's raving. All right, because someone wants a big star. <laughs> we want to start. We want to start going not wild. The, not the right choice. <laughs> but get in the car, windows down. You know, dusk. Put it on. Lovely acoustic pan guitars, left and right speak car speakers. Oh. Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is let's say there's three albums on the on the list, and this is the lowest down. Oh, there's three. Um, I thought there was two. Yeah, there's three. There's two other albums that are both weighted higher than this one. I definitely uh, feel so, this. Sorry to jump in. This Rolling better. Stone definitely likes like a little wink, wink. Like we've put them on, and I know the general public won't really know about yeah, them, but we do yeah. because we're the Rolling Stone. Yeah. There's definitely a feel of that. Do you think that. that's true of any list? I was I was listening to a, a, another podcast by someone else uh, recently, and said that 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 sort of is some lists. On, on albums that are on this list, and I very much thought about this list as they were saying it, is that the the albums are on there for a reason which is not necessarily to do with how good they are. It's to do with what you're trying to say about your list. So it's like, well, why am I doing this list? And if I put, by putting Big Star, exactly reflecting your point, by putting Big Star on this list, that's Rolling Stone going, hey, we're quite cool, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you <laughs> so know this underground band probably not, but we do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah, yeah. about that no, and the I've choices f- of albums that are on there are kind of, definitely. yeah, it's a little bit of a wink to go, <laughs> see? Definitely. Uh, Joni, we're in the cool club. Joni Mitchell, it's quite like a, if you're into Joni Mitchell, you, sh- you know about music, right? If you're like, oh, I like Joni Mitchell, it's like, oh, okay, you're into that sort of deeper sort of singer songwritery mm. music. She's second on the out, she's second on the whole list. Mm. <sighs> I mean, make of that what you will, but that's... A bit of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm like Joni Mitchell myself. Mm. That sort mm. of, you know, feeling. <laughs> I, I, do you know, is that fair to say? I think well, so. I, I, I mean, think it's some sorry, bigger third, artists third, out third there. Third rather right? than second. I should, I should correct myself. Third on the list rather than second. Who's second? Um, uh, Pet Sounds, Beach Boys. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Which kind of defeats my point. <laughs> <laughs> with the Beach Boys, yeah. Well, no, so, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's one of those don't know things. Joni Mitchell. It's interesting you're picking on Joni Mitchell as being maybe... Uh, almost a cult artist. Yeah. Whereas I think many people, I think you're wrong about Joni Mitchell being a bit of a sort of the cool kids like Joni Mitchell. I think Joni Mitchell is a much more ubiquitous, wider ranging, um, admired artist than certainly than Big Star. <laughs> Rather than the yeah. kind of, hey, aren't I, haven't I cool? I've put Joni Mitchell on the list. I think there's less, that would be a little bit to me like saying, aren't we cool? We've put um, Marvin Gaye on the list or even Stevie Wonder. It's that sort of, that's not, not necessarily cool. That's recognizing a. a I feel body, like they're more accessible work. though. They're bigger, are they're way bigger artists, though, aren't they? Than Joni Mitchell. What, are they? <sighs> in, I suppose it's all about <laughs> upbringing, but in my eyes, yeah. Like I understand that Marvin Gaye was massively influential in in sort of soul music, mm-hmm. Motown. Yeah. Um, without digressing too much, I, yeah. May, may, I don't know enough about Joni Mitchell. But I always thought she was quite niche. It was quite like sort of um, emotional music, and mm. she's the one at Woodstock. She did perform at Woodstock, yeah. Yeah, so maybe it's a bit of a non-point for me. My point is is that if someone said, you know, name the top five of you reckon what the 500 uh, best Rolling Stones are going to have. Yeah. I don't think anyone would think Joni Mitchell would be there. Oh, you would? Yeah. There's no surprise to me at all that that album's in that top 10 Is that a surprise to you? I wouldn't really think of her, really. I don't really know much about her. Right, so if you... I know of her, but I've never listened to her. I'd imagine she'd be on the list, yeah. Definitely. No, no surprise to, to me. And I'm, I'm, oh, even I'm, looking, just... I'm looking at the top 10, and the only one that really surprises me that's in the top 10, and that was only because I don't know it, was Lauren Hill. That's the only album in the top 10 that I was like, oh, really? The rest would be, yeah, I, I get it. I, okay, I, I know why it's, whether I like it or not, I get why it's there. Oh, yeah. I, I, what I know of Joni Mitchell, I like, but I just mm. maybe I thought she was more cult, like you said, than, than, mm. than she actually she is. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll. 
get her maybe in like she should definitely be on there on the good, to, good to find good to find out <laughs> yeah well I mean it's the same argument isn't it about the, the Chuck Berry thing is still the um, much what we've just discussed is why not why is Chuck Berry on this list why is this album on the list yeah. because this is the best albums of all time as we've said many times that's not a good album no. whatever you think of Chuck Berry and whatever you think of the songs this is not a good album it doesn't deserve to be on the best albums of all time mm. anyway but he, we, we as, should stop beating up Chuck Berry every but, week. No, no, but just one caveat. <laughs> but he may perhaps, as a artist figure about what he did with music, probably does deserve to be there. That, that absolutely, so agree. Rec- absolutely, yeah. but not best albums. This is a best albums list, right? And that's not a good album. It's certainly not the sixty-first best album of all time. Fifty-first best album of all time. Stupid, yes, but I think we could go through stuff. and last thing I'll say on it, but I think we could go through a lot of these artists and say, well, their albums are good, but they're in there for their for their name, you know, for their overall sort of. Well, that I mean, would be, well that, that's the point. That's why we're having this discussion. That's wrong, in my view. If this is the best albums of all time, they shouldn't be on there because of their name. They should be on there because the album is good. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, and no, say, like, yeah. yeah, the point that's what I'm saying, reflecting that point that you absolutely made just a minute ago. What, what is this list saying about stuff? There is that kind of. This is on here because it's cool, not because it's good. Chuck Berry's on there because we need to have Chuck Berry on there, not because he ever made a good album, but we've got to have it on there. And we'll have discussions about other greatest hits albums as well at some point. And why is this there? Even artists that have got multiple albums on there, like I'm I'm sure I'm going to be saying this at some point. Okay, the Beatles were good, but why do we need 11 Beatles albums on the best albums of all time (laughs) list? Anyway. No. We'll get there. To the vote. That That was good. Thanks, big star. (laughs) (laughs) Inspired that. Yeah, to the votes, to the votes. Give them some numbers. Stick some numbers on my list. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Don't don't fall off your seats. I'm going four. Because I know. I know when I'm. I always like to back it on a point. But when I when I know I'm like I don't know what to listen to. Now I think I'll I'll be. Oh, I'll put a big star album on again. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But I'm into the sort of. I'm into bluesy rock harmonies. Uh, Big shout out to the uh, Apollo team here. Billy puts on a gig every month or so. Yeah. And you had a great blues uh, band here. I really, really, really enjoyed. Yeah. So it's good to see that bands are still playing this music. And, and if Martin, well, I'm, I'm not saying Martin's, I think Martin is right from what he's read, then perhaps these guys were the, were the one, one of the originators. So, so four from Miles, so four from and, right, and rightly so. Yep. Oh, so between a two and a three for me. Give me the criteria again. <laughs> one is a don't bother. Yeah. Two is a okay if you like this sort of thing. Three worth a listen. Four or oh, three then it's worth a listen, but not indispensable. And five, I'm definitely recommending this. Three, it's definitely worth a listen. Some nice tracks on there. Is Martin going to make it to double figures? Uh, yes, because I'm going to give it a three. So yeah, I think well, it's worth. Stuff. I think it's worth, worth worth checking out. It's a good album, not a great album. Yeah. I can tell it's an influential album, but you know, it's like yeah, just, yeah check it out. Somebody's, it, <laughs> literally, it says worth a listen. If somebody <laughs> said to me, "All right, that big star album, is it worth a listen?" I'd say yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> three. <laughs> right. Album number two for us this week. I wonder if this will uh, initiate as much discussion um, as Big Star did. I love that. Um, Our second album was Bob Dylan and the Band, The Basement Tapes. It's number 335 on the Rolling Stone 500 list. Sharp with your screwing top. Shut up. Sorry. (laughs) Background noise. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's getting all bullshit. (laughs) So he had his lunch. 
<laughs> Not enough copy. Um, the Basement Tapes was released on 26th of June 1975. Bob Dylan and his pals spent the summer of love in Woodstock messing around in the basement of a house they called Big Pink. The songs were so deeply weird they sat unreleased for years until the Basement Tapes finally collected bootleg favourites like Million Dollar Bash and You Ain't Going Nowhere. Um, they were a kick to do, Dylan told Rolling Stone in 1969. That's really the way to do a recording in a peaceful, relaxed setting in someone's basement with the windows open and a dog lying on the floor. So, yeah, released in 1975, but actually recorded mainly in 1967. This was the 16th album by Bob Dylan, his second uh, recorded with the band. There are seven other entries from Bob Dylan on the 500 list and another uh, two for the band on this list. So that's another nine albums from the... Uh, Excellent. Uh, Two-thirds of the album's 24 tracks feature Dylan on lead vocals backed by the band recorded in 1967. The remaining eight songs, all previously unavailable, featured the band without Dylan and were recorded between 67 and 75. In 1975, number one movie was Jaws. 75. The number one album was Venus and Mars by Wings, making a second appearance in the podcast this week. Mm. And the UK number one single was I'm Not In Love by 10CC. What a tune. Vocals on that are amazing. Oh, I love that song. Uh, June the 1st, Ronnie Wood replaced Mick Taylor as Rolling Stones guitarist. Uh, On June the 5th, the UK electorate voted 67% to 33% in a referendum to remain part of the European common market. Those were the days. Uh, And on June the 7th, Sony introduced the Betamax video cassette recorder for sale. Does that mean anything to you, Betamax? People (sighs) of my age will remember all of that. I don't know it was what a big battle is. between I don't know what it says. <laughs> uh, VHS and Betamax were two formats of video tape. Were they? Yeah, oh, I never, didn't know that. Yeah, there was, well, two, they, there was, two, di- there was two different formats. And uh, is it a big rectangle? Just a as different, well? different, machi- different machinery, different production. But it was basically you could either have a film on Betamax or a film on VHS, and VHS just became the one that everyone used, mm. and Betamax died. Very good. Those were the days Mm. of my life. That was a long time ago. Talking about it? Yeah. Shall we talk about... (laughs) Sorry, I lost my place. I got... got, Yeah. What are we doing? Why are we here? (laughs) Who am I? I'll go first. Go on, Bill. I'll try not to mince my words. I hated it. (laughs) Oh, no. I think given everything that you said in the previous one, I was kind of waiting for you to say that. Why did you hate it, Billy? I don't like his voice. I don't like the like, Americana sort of sound. Americana bluesy. Yeah, yeah, and it's just... I get the whole like storytelling sort of thing, but it's just a bit whining on. It's just like... Oh. <laughs> I was playing it this morning, like, listening to it again. I had it on, like, Alexa. And my mum walked in and was like, what are you listening to? Like, my family's not listened to this sort of thing. I've been brought up on that sort of yeah. 70s sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I was like, I don't know. Why am I, why am I listening to this? Mm. But I can't... I don't really get the hype about him. It's just not my sort of sound, and I don't really get yeah. it. But I've never really listened to that sort of thing. I was going to say because it was naturally came about cult heroes just on the on the first part of the thing. Now I've just looked exactly the meaning of cult hero. He's not a cult hero because it normally means that you have quite a smaller audience, right? Yeah. But I need a word to sum him up because does it also every... begin with C and end in T? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I need a word to des- to describe where. But basically what I'm trying to say is, if someone tells you, it's like Martin to the Beatles, right? If someone tells you they're a, a Bob Dylan fan, they're like, yeah. they're always like crazy fans, I'll never right? talk to them again. Yeah. <laughs> but do, do you know what I mean, Martin? When someone's a Dylan fan, they're always like, they, 
they've listened to all of these 16 albums. They know everything. Well, that's what well, I've come a, across. A, yeah, he's, a, he's an iconic artist, right? Uh, okay. He's, a, he's about as influential as you can get as a music artist in this era. Yeah, but not on the popular form, not in terms of like... It's he's still not niche, but you do you see what I'm saying? It's not like there's no way no way niche, but I think it's not a it's not to ever well, there's clearly something that says not to everyone's taste. It's it's an yes. odd I think people can more understand if you say I don't under, I don't get Bob Dylan than you know people say like I I always feel suspicious of people who say they don't like the Beatles. You go, well, what none of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, kind yeah. of weird. Oh, I just don't like the Beatles. Bob, like that's yeah. weird. Whereas with Bob Dylan, I think if someone said, Yeah, I just don't get it, I can go, Yeah, I can that's even, what I'm even to for say. the pe- even the people who love Bob Dylan, I think we'd go, Yeah, I kinda understand why. Yes. There's so something he's, there's he's something like, there that's a barrier. Yes. He's obviously not niche, but then it's all uh, yeah, Martin summed it up. You can understand if someone basically turns around and says, I'm not into that thing, you say, I can understand why it's 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 um fairly unique in that sense. Sorry, long winded point. But so I only knew, you know, Bob Dylan for, basically I didn't know him well as an artist. Wouldn't say I'm a fan. And I'm still not. <laughs> no, I'm a bit different from Billy. I actually, I, actually, I, actually fairly, I actually thought it was quite a good album. When I first saw 24 tracks, I thought, oh no, but then thankfully most of, not most, but about half of, but in the two minutes, aren't it's not like they're not really long tracks. Yeah. I like the rawness recording of it. I mean, they said there that you you can imagine it being played out in a basement with a dog lying on the floor. Well, that is literally how it was recorded, right? Okay, the, you know, it's, uh, called, it's uh, called the basement tapes because it was not, a, not as a kind of a, a, a kind of fun name. It was recorded in a, in basement. a basement, right? It took me to a place of could you walk into like a bar in sort of the states, wherever uh, back in the day and. Everyone sort of gathered round in in the pub sort of vibe. Mm. They don't have pubs there, but you, you, you <laughs> get my drift. And everyone's sort of stamping along, like, like singing along. And it had that sort of rawness feeling to it, where it, not improv, but it was like you, you know, people, I was expecting, I don't actually think this happened much on the record, but people like talking off the mic, that sort yeah. of like vibe of it all, you know? And I enjoyed that. And it was actually different to what I thought Bob Dylan is or who or who he is. I, and, I, and I think... I liked it more than I thought I would. Mm. To just finally stand out. Uh, Katie's Been Gone. I thought it was a great song. Uh, I put it extremely melodic in harmony. Mm. And I just thought it was a very nice tune. But yeah, I liked it more than I thought I would. I'm not, I'm not going to rush back to listen to it. But yeah, I liked it more than I thought. Yeah. You? A lot of what you said I would uh, agree with. I think with the Bob Dylan thing overall, I've always struggled a little bit with his voice. Mm. I have a similar relationship with Bob Dylan to what you would say you've had with David Bowie yeah it's like okay I can't, I can't quite get beyond what he sounds like right. and the way that he sings and I find that I have found that in the past a little bit off-putting there have been times when I have more recently sort of thought oh I'm starting to get this now and kind of get beyond that and I, I did listen to a couple of Bob Dylan's earlier albums a few years back to sort of get that formative experience and go all right it could almost hear development and as you listen more to more of it you go oh I'm starting to understand a little bit more that's part of a preamble to say i i think this is a terrible for for most of us who haven't really um stop that sentence in a weird place (laughs) this will make more sense as i continue um for us here who who would all of us would say i think we don't know much bob dylan um stuff i think this is a terrible introduction to bob dylan if you don't know bob dylan stuff because you're 16 albums in yeah and this is a bunch of demos yeah, right? basically. With, with a band. This is them 
just hanging out in a basement going, shall we make some songs and recording them, right? So it's not a studio production. It's not lots of tracks that have been thought through. These, are, As it says in the thing there, these are largely stuff that had become popular on bootlegs. Was it, have you heard that, that, that kind of stuff that they did in the, in the basement? Nobody really knows that it's never been released. And it's largely because eventually they kind of go, do you know, we, we should probably release that stuff because I think <laughs> no. people might buy it. They They're already it. buying it and we're getting none of the <laughs> money for it. So, so I think it's a little bit like saying to someone, have you never heard the Beatles? I'll tell you what you should do. Listen to Anthology 3. It's a ter- it'd be a terrible way to start listening to the Beatles. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Be like all the outtakes and little demos and just like yeah. random stuff. Like, There's I a reason I don't, it wasn't I don't get released. It. By, yeah. <laughs> by the time you're a bit more immersed in it, it makes sense. So I think that's probably going against this album in terms of being an introduction to say, let's have 24 tracks that are a little bit ramshackle. That was, a, that was an overall thing that I thought about it. Having said that, um, I, I, again, I was kind of, I think I might, I'm going to struggle with this because it's Bob Dylan and there are definitely elements in there. I said, there's, there's the voice. Mm. <laughs> Is that the only way you can sing? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, again, as a sort of a, have this on, listen to it. There, there have been albums that we've done previous weeks where I've been like, I can't wait for this to finish. Didn't really have that experience with this. Wasn't you know? I was happy to have it on and have a listen to it, and make my mind up about what I thought about it without loving anything on it really. But I quite liked the sound on some of it. I quite liked the way it was. You know, that that it, there is that sort of it's a band in a bar kind of feeling. Yeah. About it. You kind of suggested yeah, that yeah, same thing. Yeah. If you showed up in a bar and this band's playing in the background night. and you're yeah. out with a few having a you know, few beers or whatever, you go, they're a good band, aren't yeah. they? Aren't they? And you go, yeah, they really are. Um, and they sound like a really good band. It's hard to get a connection with how influential this is or how important it is because don't have the connection with Bob Dylan and the whole sort of catalogue. So to come in 16 albums in with what is essentially a, an anthology of stuff that was done as basically just for fun. I think that's a hard that's a hard place to maybe make a whole judgment on Dylan and the band based on this album would be hard. Yes. Equally, again, you come back to the element of, well, okay, well, what's it doing on the best 500 albums of all time list? Is it really one of the best 500 albums of all time? <clears throat> but I realize you're still live as well. I mean, and that's li- uh, that's yeah, he, and that's also saying that <laughs> I'm still touring as well. Yeah, and that's also saying that well, Bob Dylan's forgotten songs but you know but, but essentially what they were like unreleased demos mm. that they then decided to put out on an album years later yeah um <laughs> has probably like kept a lot of other artists with their debut with their biggest albums off of the list mm. so that's basically saying a lot of what the rolling stones thinks of bob dylan basically he's a genius even his basement tapes that he didn't really care about make it over a lot of artists which uh yeah which when you put it like that you think should it really have you know um, but the other thing is, I think that it's quite easy. This is kind of the opposite point. Martin, we're going to ask you, when did you read that these were, I mean, I suppose the clues in the title of the basement tapes, but that could be taken in a few ways. But when did you realize, did you, did you find out before or afterwards that these were kind of demos that never really made it onto albums? And there's, a, there's only a, one honest answer to that is because of the way that we're making this podcast. Yeah. I'm doing research on these albums before a little bit beforehand so I mean, or, or at the same time so it was kind of I don't know I, I, I do you see what I'm I, saying I, though it's easy to think that and go 
oh yeah, there's a reason this is not like it hasn't yeah, captured me. There's a yeah, reason yeah, these yeah, are the basement tapes. I can't. Uh, I can't remember if I started listening to it before I found that out, or if I already knew it beforehand, or even if I knew it beforehand. Beforehand, I can't really remember. But it was all for me. It's all kind of mushed. Well, I don't in. Think it wasn't excuse. a big surprise. It's not, no, it's not an it, excuse, excuse for it, making it as not a good an album if it's not that good an album don't release it if it's like well, it's supposed to be demos between yeah you maybe it's a bit of the Rolling Stone yeah. wink wink like even his basement tapes yeah. we've even put that on there sort well, of thing well uh, you know? yes yes and no I think there there definitely is an element of that and yet this is a hugely popular release you know this this is like I said it is a bit like in fact there's a, there's a reference here which uh, I think makes um, sense in making this album, we used the same kind of microphone on everything. It was a bit of an anti-studio approach. We realised that what was comfortable to us was turning wherever we were into a studio rather than going to a studio, I guess what they're meaning. That te- technique influenced groups, including the Beatles, who said that their get-back sessions in early 69 were an effort to record in an honest live, no frills, no overdubs, down-home way, the way that the band had done for the basement tapes. Because... They, they knew of the existence of, of this. This was done in 67. Yeah. This wasn't released till 65. Yeah. So when you get to 69, he's saying the reason that the Beatles took that approach to get back those sessions for that yeah. ended up being Let It Be was because of that. That's a good idea. Let's do some of what Dylan's doing, which yeah, they, yeah. they did a lot throughout their career. Let's yeah. do a bit of what Dylan's doing. Um, I read he was a writing machine as well, Dylan, in terms of like just oh, yeah, loads would of write like three but the reason songs that, a day. The reason I was saying that is I, th- I kind of feel that that 19... The, the way that I felt about watching that Get Back movie recently, you know, why would you watch eight hours of just guys hanging out in a studio doing outtakes and stuff? And it was great. My feeling is that that's how people that are Dylan fans were feeling about the Basement Tapes when it yeah. comes out. That it is kind of... It's not... <laughs> I don't know what how else to say except that you're excited about getting an insight into that yeah. process and being part of and actually getting to hear these things and hear what it was really like and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I think that's why it's seen as so without me kind of loving this as an album. I think that's why people love this as an album and why it might make the list. When you release it's it's a sort of a, it's it's an exciting yeah. thing as a Dylan fan to for that to exist and to be able to have it. And there's a there was a box set version of this that was released in the nineties, I think, which has you know got loads more songs on it as well. Mm. Was, and like was, I said, a I, lot more stuff. I feel those Dylan fans are some of the most loyal fans. That like <laughs> someone's into Bob Dylan, they love 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 mm. Bob Dylan. Still can't find the word for Sid that. Does. Sid does. Yeah. yeah, and they're like he's like the Oracle. You know, like if if you're into. Look, I know you can say this about a lot of artists, like, you know, if I'm into Prince, I think he's the Oracle, but almost with Bob Dylan fans, because because it's a, a pretty, his overall sound and style is pretty, he's, it's, it's like big, it's like niche, but like the, 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 the sort of like, grander side of niche if that makes sense <laughs> yeah. if you know what I mean. There's, a, there's an astonishing history with Bob Dylan as well. When you get into, it's a bit like, I, and I find this sometimes with the Beatles as well, you kind of go, I can't believe I didn't already know that. Because you think everything's been written about yeah. it. And then yeah. you start like getting into the history of Bob Dylan, where he, where he came from, you know, the fact that his name's not even Bob Dylan, just as a, as a simple, uh, you know, thing. Okay, he changes his name. He, he completely reinvents his backstory. Mm. As a, so he's bas- Bob Dylan is basically a character. It's not a real person. Basically, the whole thing is an act. His oh, wow. whole history is an act. Like, mm. He made up. Uh, you know his background before he became famous, and then he's kind of lived that character for the rest of his life. Yeah. There's a whole load of amazing stuff that's that. that, that Was that he too, like, in the civil rights movement? Have I made that up? He started off as a protest singer, basically a folk mm. protest singer was his sort of introduction to culture. That's what he was doing. 
When was um, his first album then? 61, 62, I think. That's still a lot of albums in 10 years, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that was his 16th. Oh, year. 14 years, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a long time. And I said, a, ma- a massive influence. And the, and the number of Dylan songs that have become hits by, for other people that you might then think, oh God, I didn't even... I mean, we were, we were talking about covers before, that we didn't know were covers before, mm. weren't we, on yeah, one, yeah. one of these podcasts. Uh, this Wheels on Fire, the last track on this album. Oh, yeah. yeah. Song I was familiar with. It's, it was the um, song from Absolutely Fabulous, isn't it? It's the yeah. theme song. Sorry, <laughs> Absolutely Fabulous. And I'd heard that song before. I had no idea that song was written by Bob Dylan. Mm. <laughs> Not a clue. That was, uh, that was literally, I was today old sort of thing when yeah. I found out that This Wheels on Fire was written by Bob Dylan. It was like, bloody hell, that's another song that I had no idea. But I'm going to take it all back Bob now. Uh, one of my favourite songs ever, Make You Feel My Love by Dale, was actually a Bob Dylan song. It's a yeah. Bob Dylan song, yeah. I love him. And I think yeah, all, all Along the Watchtower, a huge hit for uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. He's considered one of the best lyricists, isn't he? For sure, in terms of like, what he, you know, his lyrics, what he's yeah. saying. He's, he's um, I don't know if I sort of like liked that sort of style, the way it sort of like dragged on though, with especially with these ones. I think there's a time and place for it. Is everything he does like a concept sort of, yeah, thing. I think so. I think he's. A, I think he's a fascinating artist. He's, he is. He is. I mean, even whether you kind of like it or not, you kind of hear stuff about Bob Dylan. You go, "What a weird guy!" <laughs> or is it? Or is he weird? Or is he just amazingly sort of artistic, uh, self-confident, artistic, whatever? You know, he famously he goes he, when he does live shows. There's nothing familiar about his live shows. You go, you go to hear a song. He'll play a song that you know, but he'll do it in a completely yeah. different style, yeah. a completely different That's version. Annoying. Yeah, <laughs> and then people are saying it's really annoying, but they also keep going to the concerts because yeah. like, there's something about the fact that that's the way that he does it. Um, so that's kind of why I say I think it's maybe you know for for us coming in as sort of an introduction to Bob Dylan at an album that's 16 albums in uh, to his career, and it's what number 335 on the list when there are albums again Bob Dylan top 10 um, or top 20. I think uh, Blood on the Tracks is his highest rated album on this. Was later as well. I think Blood on the Tracks is 1979, something like that. So it's, you know, 10 years later. Mm. And that's his highest rated album mm. on, this, on this list. So there's, there's definitely more to discover for us going through this journey with Bob Dylan. But, um, and was he the first to do the guitar harmonica at the same time? I think he, was that, was that the first, was he the first probably to start doing Probably popularised it. Yeah. I've always wanted that to try That's impressive, that. yeah. Yeah. I love always wanted to try that. <laughs> Definitely popularized it because I mean, the, I mean, I don't know if you know that there was that big scandal is not the right word, but the, the the day that he turned up on stage with an electric guitar, literally someone from the this is famous event. He turned up with an electric guitar instead of an acoustic guitar, and there was a near riot. Someone in the crowd shouted Judas because <laughs> it was like, it, why have you given up on our folk traditions and this acoustic traditions? You've turned up with an electric guitar. That wow. that. Was the, it was at the time it was just like you know it felt like that his whole audience felt like they'd let he'd let them down <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts that's crazy <laughs> so there's yeah there's a fascinating story to follow with uh, with Bob Dylan absolutely I mean how do you feel if Elton John came out with a guitar around him <laughs> I wouldn't shout Judas at him hey, I wouldn't shout Judas, Judas where's your piano <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how to answer that question <laughs> no, but what I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not um, defending these people, but I'm saying, I suppose if you're a fan, uh, and like you say, that it, it goes against the folk traditions. But you, you, you know, if you go and see a concert, you want, you want it to, you want to see what you've sort of become a fan of, right? Yeah. 
I think it was just so so entrenched in that uh, folk acoustic yeah. protest tradition that that was what people oh, thought okay. they were getting from Bob Dylan. And then when you sort of Dylan goes rock sort of thing was a like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> you can't you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose that. Yeah. And, I mean, so that that was you know, not the rights and wrongs of it. <laughs> that was what happened. Because mm. you know, again, maybe because people get so attached to. Uh, yeah. To an artist, and well, if come, that, that yeah. artist then tries to do something different. Your audience, well, the classic, do, do, does your audience come with you, or do they, or do they reject it? Yeah, completely? when they go right, we're going to play a new one now. Everyone goes boo. <laughs> <laughs> play something we know. Play an old one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's always the way, isn't it? John Rockwell of the New York Times about this album said, "It is one of the greatest albums in the history of American popular music." Rolling Stones' Paul Nelson called its contents the hardest, toughest, sweetest, saddest, funniest, wisest songs. I'm not talking to myself here. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) But you've quoted John Rockwell a few times. It's all these same same critics. Yeah, Huge critical uh, success, critically acclaimed upon release, reaching number seven on the Billboard uh, album chart. But subsequently, the format has led critics to question the omission of some of Dylan's best-known 67 compositions and the inclusion of so much material by the band that wasn't recorded at the time. Um, so, yeah, so big commercial success as well as a critical success, huge critical success. Surprising, I think, but testament to how popular Bob Dylan is. So, scores. One of you go first, I went first last time, mix it up. I have to go. I think I, my current feeling has to be two. Because I'm still, because it is basically like Bob Dylan, listen to this. Don't mm. like Bob Dylan, don't go for this one. I'm the same. Was this the first one with the band? Yes. It's not the, it's not the band's first album. And I don't, uh, yeah, confusing, confusing thing, but yes. Okay, on that I'll go three. It's the first release, yeah. Why is that changing mine? Because I think if you're into this kind of thing, you should definitely listen to the one where he's collaborated with the band, where it's the first one. That would be a um, two then. Okay, if you're into this sort of thing. Oh, what's three? Sorry. Worth a listen. Yeah, no, I'll stay with three. It's worth a listen. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Seven. Seven and te- ten for Big Star, seven for Dylan. Feels about right. The random generator is about to speak. Here we go. I have a feeling we're going to get, okay, uh, one we've had before this week. You ready? Yeah. 120 is uh, another classic, highly regarded album by a classic, highly regarded and somewhat contentious artist, Van Morrison oh. and Moondance. Yay. I think we'll never have heard that song before. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Moondance by Van Morrison? How does it go? I don't actually know it. Oh, you don't? No. Okay. I thought it was that, one of those. I thought it was 70s one of those, again. I thought that was one of those everybody knows that um, tracks. Like Brown Eyed Girls, the other Van Morrison yeah. one that everyone knows, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Van Morrison's Moondance was released on the 27th of January, 1970. Excellent. God, we're, like, we're in the 70s yeah. here. And 319. It's the Stones again. It's not, <laughs> it's not that Stones, though. It's the debut album from the Stone Roses. Oh, yes. It's the Stone Roses. I like that one. By the Stone Roses. What's it called, the album? It's called The Stone Roses. By the Stone Roses which obviously will annoy uh, Billy, but not as much because he likes the Stone Roses. Yeah, that's fine. So he's not, as ang- he's not that angry about them just calling it after the band. Release date, surprisingly, 2nd of May, 1989. Oh, on the cusp, I don't mind late 80s. That old. Certainly, that's one, I think, if you did a UK list, that would be much higher. Definitely. 
I'm surprised it made the uh, US list, to be fair. Good stuff. Look forward to that. Excited to that. Well done, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Martin. Everybody. Thank you, Martin. Thank you guys. It's always been a pleasure. That was a, we had a good chat this week. Mm. I like that. No matter what you think of the albums, the part of the joy is talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun talking about them than it is listening to them sometimes. <laughs> uh, but that's the joy of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, join us again next week when we discuss our other two albums. Please do like and subscribe uh, if you're listening to the podcast. Give us a rating. That really helps. On the, It really does help, apparently. People keep telling me it really helps. If you leave us a rating or a comment, it really pushes the album out. Recommend it to someone you think might like it. Recommend it to someone you think might hate it. You, you might be wrong. Just recommend it. <laughs> Give it a five. That's what I'm saying. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You sure you forgive me?